Why Watch That is a podcast featuring the critic and referee who go head-to-head on a quest to discover the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. Expect the unexpected from the critic. While nothing gets past the ref. We do all the work. So you don't have to. Welcome Welcome to to Why Watch Watch That. So why watch that movie talk? Ooh, ooh, ooh. We've got a movie talk for you. This is a long movie talk. This is a long movie talk, but our TV talks are long too. So bear with us in that. Um, We've got four movies for you. Two sneak peeks and two first looks. And they couldn't be more different. (laughs) And in different times and periods and... But the the through line of all of them is that each one of these uh, really did a good job of casting, you know, at least getting a familiar cast uh, drawing to it. Let's first start with HBO's Native Son, ooh, which premieres on the 6th of this month, April. We got a chance to see this back in uh, January at the Sundance Film Festival this January. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We even got to talk with the director, who is Rashid Johnson, we got to talk to him at length, and in fact, hopefully soon you'll you'll hear part of that interview up somewhere. We'll have to talk to the producer about that. But it was a very good, he's very insightful, very intelligent, um, and and, and innovative uh, man. This is written originally; it's based on the book by Richard Wright. Yep, you probably saw it somewhere in your classroom. But it was Susan Laurie Parks who did the adaptation, and if you remember her, she is a playwright. Um, if I'm not mistaken, a, an award-winning playwright mm-hmm. who did um, some amazing work and is doing some amazing work. I've seen um, a couple of her works on stage at New York. It, the cast is as peculiar and wonderful as you can probably get. Ashton Sanders, who we did get an interview with, is 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 starring as the titular character, as the critic likes to say. David Allen Greer is going to be showing up. Susan uh, Sinai Lathan, who we got a chance to interview as well. Um, uh, Margaret Qualley, uh, Nick Robinson, who we got a chance to talk to, and you know everybody freaked out about that. And Kiki Lane, who's definitely making a splash recently is in it among other people now this is kind of a complicated plot a little bit but the way Rashid did it it's even more complicated so (laughs) the critic is is master at this so take a listen yeah it's not gonna take long (laughs) (laughs) so bigger Thomas I'm gonna give you scraps (laughs) there you go look uh bigger Thomas played by Ashton is a young black man who doesn't quite fit in anywhere. No. He lives in Chicago with his mom and his younger sister and brother. Plus he hangs out with friends of various repute, <laughs> along with his girlfriend, Bessie, played by If Beale Street Could Talk's Kiki Lane, who doesn't quite know what to make of him or do with him. Now a young man who doesn't quite fit and who knows he's not meant to fit needs direction, right? Yeah, yeah. So his mom's lawyer boyfriend, played by David Allen Greer, <laughs> sets him up with a well-paying job as a driver for a rich man named Henry Dalton and Henry's wife and daughter, played by Margaret Qualley, 
who's bigger's age. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Now, this is a family that knows just how rich they are. So they bend over backward to make Bigger feel welcome. And the daughter, Mary, takes a particular interest in Bigger. Oh, boy. Now, he takes a certain kind of interest in her, too. Uh So just what's going to happen when all of Bigger's worlds and the different facets of his personality collide? And just what exactly is this son a native of? Do you want to review first or me, Brad? That was a really good dance around the plot because you gave away nothing. <laughs> but just enough to wet our whistle. I will just lead with this because I know you're really going to do a good job of, of reviewing. When we saw this at Sundance, it was one of our, it was the first uh, show that we, or movie that we saw. When we got a chance to speak with those creatives, it was definitely there was a certain anticipation because Rashid had definite thing definite viewpoints he was offering us and then when we sat down to watch it especially the first 15 minutes of the movie we thought ho ho he's got a viewpoint this guy mm. not only in what he says but how he communicates via cinema and there were some remnants of Spike Lee so if you if you kind of like that spikely feel, there's definitely some um, aesthetically. There's a lot of spike going on. Um, there's a lot of of the music matching the uh, tone or the feeling of the scenes. I will have to say that the cast did a, a wonderful, solid job. I really throw my hat off to Ashton Sanders, who really I don't, I can't imagine. I don't know what young black actor could play this role right now. Not one. Besides Lakeith Stanfield, who is too old for this. Yeah. So, to me, it was perfectly cast, and I came in strong as a mama. Um, Margaret Qualley really is the quintessential annoying girl who gets people in trouble. Yeah. (laughs) And the very, very eerie Bill Camp. I didn't know quite what was going on here. I won't give it away, but I just did not feel comfortable in his presence. There's something going on. Uh, The knock I do have is that it does get lost uh, as you go through the movie. Uh, I think this is a movie either you will like or you will not. There's no real in-between ground. So do proceed with caution. But if you are interested in seeing Richard Wright's adaptation of Native Son, I think this is a good shot at it. Um, yeah, and so, you know, I'm going to echo a lot of that. Uh, also keep in mind as we're reviewing everyone, as the ref said in the intro, it's on HBO. You know? Yes, that's a good, you don't have to pay money for that unless you're going to want to subscribe just for it, which I can't imagine people doing, but. Yeah, no. Uh, so keep that in mind. But in this film, um, you know, many of the characters just feel right, especially Bigger Thomas. Now, you got to give credit to director Rashid Johnson for that, but I do have to point out that, like you were saying, Raph, Ashton Sanders is the perfect fit for Bigger. He's an intelligent and cool outsider, which is perfect for the character. And like you said, stealing from me. <laughs> no. He's like a slightly younger Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah. Now, in addition, the way that Rashid composes his scenes and shifts from scene to scene is reminiscent of, just as the ref said, Spike Lee, and I'll say a little bit of Barry Jenkins. But it still feels fresh. The way he used music, 
very visual techniques. I mean, he's an artist after all. And voiceovers were some of this film's highlights. You can sense the talent that he has, and I'm interested in where he's going next. Also, the set design and costumes were great. I mean, just take a look at the pictures on the walls and at what Bigger wears to his job interview with the Daltons to understand what I mean. However, one of the major questions for this film is, does it honor the book while still asserting itself as a work of art in its own right? Well, let me tell you this. I read the book early on in high school, so what I remember most is the feeling of reading it. I remember feeling scared for Bigger and wishing that what I knew was coming wouldn't happen. Now, did I feel the same way while I was watching this movie? No, I didn't actually, and here's why. First, the time period is today, not the 1930s. Now, I think that the great Susan Laurie Parks did a mostly wonderful job of updating the book in her script. However, what they decided not to change is the use of the furnace, which admittedly is a pivotal part of the book. But the problem with that is, why would Bigger be tasked with taking care of a furnace today? They came up with an explanation, but it still seemed anachronistic, which made it stand out. And if you know this story, you know how unfortunate that is. Even still, the truly glaring flaw in this film is the actual moments themselves. As I mentioned earlier, going from moment to moment was great. However, the actual beats within each moment needed to be tightened up. The pace was a bit sluggish, and the acting seemed a little too flat at times. As a result, they couldn't quite earn the pivotal moments in the second half of the film. And so here's my point overall about Native Son. It's a promising first effort from a director to watch, and it showcases just how interesting Ashton Sanders is as an actor. So if you're going to watch it, that's why. But just know that it falls short of its ultimate goal. Yes, it does, unfortunately. Yeah. But I like this act, this director. I want to see more. Mm -hmm. You've got a chance to see the new movie, Peter Lou, a sneak peek of it, in fact. <laughs> Why are you yeah. laughing? <laughs> just hearing it? It does. I know it was But very... it's not funny at all. It really is not funny <laughs> it's, at all. It's not a funny topic. It's directed by Mike Lee. It's also written by Mike Lee, and it stars a very British cast. <laughs> <laughs> and um, quite frankly, I don't see many of our listeners knowing who the actors are without knowing what they've seen them in. So you may not know these names, Roy Kinnear, uh, Maxine Peake, uh, along with you know other people who are showing up who are very familiar faces, yet again, you may not know them as standalones. I didn't know much about the actual event. I heard about it, but I don't remember studying it. Maybe I did, but I just don't remember it. And the question is, are we gonna walk away from this film wanting to know more or are we just gonna walk away? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll find out. Oh, so uh, on August 16th, 1819, in St. Peter's Field, Manchester, England, a historical atrocity occurred. And that atrocity, that massacre, was ironically nicknamed Peterloo, which the British government actually found fitting because the nickname echoed that government's defeat of Napoleon at Waterloo four years prior, which ended the Napoleonic Wars. And now almost 200 years later, 
that massacre and the events surrounding it have been brought to life on the big screen by writer-director Mike Lee. And here's how the film starts. After the Battle of Waterloo, as British Parliament agrees to lavish quite the reward on the Duke of Wellington for his leadership against the forces of Napoleon, we see a young and severely disillusioned soldier named Joseph walk from that battle to his family in Manchester, oh a town. Gosh. Yeah, and this is a town at the time uh, that's rife with unemployment, bad harvests, and restrictions on corn imports. And while the very people who are affected by these miseries don't have the right to vote, they do have the right to be taxed. Sound familiar? Sure does. Now keep in mind that Britain became the most dominant area in Europe, both economically and militarily after the Napoleonic Wars. It was an empire after all. Also keep in mind that even after the defeat of Napoleon, the French Revolution, not to mention the American Revolution, served as an inspiration for some Britons, thereby posing a threat to the British government. And so the fight is on against disenfranchisement. And in that spirit, Joseph, his father, and his brother attend meetings led by reformers whose ideas range from the moderate to the extreme. However, Joseph's mother isn't quite on board with all of that. She knows better than to trust in what people say. Plus, to deal with the unrest in Northern England, General Bing, who was Wellington's subordinate, has just been named the new commander of the Northern District. And this General Bing is none too pleased by that appointment. He couldn't care less. Also, the local magistrates zealously impose harsh punishments on people who are desperate to survive. Spies have ubiquitous clandestine presence. And mail is being intercepted by the Home Office in London. And so after an attack on the ridiculous person of the Prince Regent, who's Mad King George's son, Parliament clamps down on citizens' rights even further, which sets the stage for a mass demonstration at St. Peter's Field, featuring the ever so famous speaker, landowner, and reformer, Henry Hunt, and supported by the Manchester Female Reform Society. However, things don't go as planned for Hunt when he arrives in Manchester. His accommodations aren't right, and some of his fellow reformers aren't with the program. While they want to be armed, he insists that the demonstration remain peaceful, and Hunt is a man who demands that you take him seriously. Even still, after a series of events that culminate in some dastardly decisions by the venomous local magistrates in the absence of the unconcerned General Bing, who's the personification of dereliction of duty, the peaceful rally at St. Peter's Field, which is attended by Joseph and his family, turns into something horrific after British government forces, including the local yeomanry, charge on horseback into a crowd of over 60,000 people, slashing and stabbing their way through whoever's in front of them. And that outrage against humanity led the journalists who witnessed it to call it the Peterloo Massacre, marking a terrible yet pivotal moment in history. Now look, whoo, this movie, as you can tell, is around two and a half hours long. <laughs> so the ultimate question is, is it worth it? Well, let's start with the good. Peterloo works best in two ways. First, it works when it provides a peek into its characters' lives and the circumstances surrounding them at the time. At the beginning, writer-director Mike Lee does an effective and matter-of-fact job 
of showing how Joseph's family handles his return from war, how his mother figures out ways to feed her family with few resources, how Joseph tries to find a job at a time when there are no jobs, and how various unknown people get the book thrown at them by local magistrates, including a man who's sentenced to hang just because he took one of his boss's coats to stay warm. Yes! So again, that kind of character and world building worked. Second, Peter Lou also works when its scenes are conversational, when there's a back and forth between and among characters. And this was best exemplified by a steely Maxine Peak as Joseph's mother, who has no problem interjecting her opinions into conversations in every possible way. However, with the good also comes the bad. Look, folks, there are just too many monologues in this movie and way too much speechifying. I mean, Rory Kinnear as the great orator, Henry Hunt, actually gets lost amid all of the speeches that you have to endure from all kinds of characters. I mean, excuse me, but not all of these speeches are of the greatest import, which leads me to this. Peter Lou is a movie in desperate need of a much stronger edit. It would have benefited from much less speechifying and a little less monologue. Just cut the thing down to what really matters. Also, outside of the sporadic inclusion of flute-heavy chamber music, Mike Lee and his team could have brought some structure to the narrative and a sense of momentum with a robust score. Because as is, this film doesn't build from moment to moment, which squanders its pockets of humor and lessens its shocks. And I suspect that most audiences will find it challenging to stay interested in the myriad characters and nuances of what's happening in the lead up to the massacre. I think a more deliberate use of Joseph's and his family's story would have been helpful on that count. Now, I will say that the camera work here is solid, the images are crisp, the lighting is natural, and the shots are well-framed. Also, all of the actors know what they're doing, and they understand the importance of every little thought that their characters are having, even when the audience is in the dark. And so here's my recommendation. Go ahead and check this out if you're the kind of person who enjoys very long stage plays, which by the way, writer-director Mike Lee and many, if not all of his actors, I'm sure, have lots of experience with. Mm -hmm. But I do have to, a caution for you, even if you do enjoy a long night out at the theater for a nice play, just keep in mind that for Peter Lou, you'll have to sit in the movie theater for around two and a half hours straight there is no intermission. And while I didn't mind doing that, I would have preferred seeing Peter Lou from the comfort of my own home with my fast forward button at my disposal. Ew, 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 ew. Now moving on to first looks. The Highwayman, not to be confused with The Highwayman. <laughs> plural, is now available on Netflix. Very familiar cast, but first, it's directed by John Lee Hancock. Written by John Fusco and stars Kevin Costner, Woody Harrelson, mm. Kathy Bates, John Carroll Lynch, among other very familiar actors and faces. Now, the critics weren't too kind to this movie. And in fact, it was once floating around that Woody Harrelson forgot he was in it <laughs> at one point. I don't know if they shot it a while ago or... <laughs> He just did not remember. He's like, oh, I'm in that? Okay. <laughs> that was floating around. Now, I'm not saying that is the ultimate truth, but it was reported by reliable sources, so just putting that out there. Um, the question is, will the our critic be kind? Oh. 
Well, remember, we talked about how Native Son is on HBO. This is on Netflix. Okay, now before I get back to that, it's 1934. And Bonnie and Clyde are on the loose. And from the beginning of this film, we see the duo break a bunch of inmates out of a Texas prison during one of their work shifts outside. Now, this doesn't sit well with the governor who's played by Kathy Bates. They've been hunting down these two outlaws for far too long, only to be left standing with nothing but the deaths of their own men in the face of the couple's rising popularity. Something has to be done once and for all. And so when the warden of the prison suggests that they reach out to former Texas Ranger Captain Frank Hamer, played by Kevin Costner, for his services, the outlandishness of the idea is immaterial. I mean, heck, they've tried everything else. But Frank's old and out of practice. After all, he's married to a wealthy woman, so shootouts are a thing of the past for him. Plus, this is dangerous. People who go after these two lovebirds, they don't last long. Now, while that doesn't dissuade Frank, he is going to need some help. But who can he turn to? Well, he thinks about recruiting fellow former Texas Ranger, Manny Galt, who's played by uh, forgettable, or forgetting, I should say, Woody Harrelson. <laughs> You're in this, buddy. But Manny, Manny uh, he looks just as bad as uh, Frank does. Plus, Maney's in a precarious financial situation. Uh, it's the, the depression, right? Even still, Maney convinces Frank during a conversation in which they exchange friendly insults that he's the right man for the job. Also, keep in mind that Frank and Maney, despite their old age and physical deterioration, still have certain skills from their days as rangers that might be of use. And so the two of them set off to hunt down Bonnie and Clyde and bring them to justice. But just what will that entail? What will be the cost? And just who else is on the couple's trail? And here's my review. When it comes to period piece crime dramas, no stone has been left unturned. I mean, we've seen this kind of thing time and time again. So the question is, why do we need to see it again? Well, in response, I'll say that the reason to watch The Highwaymen is if you want to see a straightforward depiction of the real men who finally bested Bonnie and Clyde from those men's perspectives with minimal fuss and with flecks of suspense and humor. After all, here it is, it's on Netflix. So you don't have to get all gussied up to go out and pay your money to see it. Instead, you can stay in one Saturday and give it a whirl from the comfort of your bed, as I did, or favorite couch. And what you'll find is that while there's nothing special here, they're not trying to make art like Road to Perdition or something, there's nothing particularly objectionable either. Everybody's professional. You get a few glimpses of Kathy Bates as the first female governor of Texas, and you get to watch Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson play older guys who are past their primes and who speak like there's gravel in their throats. You also get period costumes and sets and colors that are filmed with clear lenses to boot. Plus, you can pause it and come back to it anytime you want, making the Highwaymen's runtime, which clocks in at over two hours, bearable. Bearable. Okay. Now, we're shifting gears. We're switching roles because we have a final first look for all of you. Yes, it's coming from the ref. The ref finally got a chance to see Vice, which I think I might need to watch. Yeah. 
Yeah, now everybody, look, you're going Vice Vice. I think I remember that. Didn't I just hear about this? Yes, it was nominated for Oscars. It was directed by Adam McKay, who directed The Big Short. It's produced by Brad Pitt's outfit, Plan B. It's written also by Adam. It stars Christian Bale. Now you're going, oh yeah, yeah. Christian Bale as Dick Cheney. Adam, a- Amy Adams as his wife. We got Steve Carell as Rummy. We got Sam R- Rockwell as W. Tyler Perry is Cola Powell, which I've got to see to believe. <laughs> okay. And a whole bunch of other folks. Lisa K. Hamilton, the Congolese Rice. I love it. Bill Camp is in this, of course. Yes, it's Gerald is. Ford. So it is now, everybody, available on demand. You can rent it and so on and so forth. You can even watch it on a plane. So tell us, <laughs> Ref. <laughs> tell us, Ref, what was the experience of Vice? Okay, so now, just up front, the critics didn't like it as much as I did. So I'm going to put that out there first. All right. Because the plot is a little forward, straightforward and complicated. You have a very young Dick Cheney. The Dick Cheney that we know is very different from the Dick Cheney that they show as a young man. This is someone who loves the drink. Loves a good bar fight, not really ambitious, not really making a name for himself or life for himself. Got uh, kicked out of Yale, uh, you know, working the power lines. It's just very much a different Dick, Dick Cheney, Dick Cheney. Uh, until his wife, Lynn Cheney, played by Amy Adams, comes up to him and when I tell you, whips him into shape, she said, Hey, look. Either you need to get it together or I will be going to the very many other scooters who are hot on my tail. Do right, Dick. Oh. So Dick Cheney, of course, played by Christian Bale, starts to make headway and and roundabouts. Now, they're from Wyoming, or at least she is. And we'll have to say there's some, you know, very different ways (laughs) they're bringing to Washington but he does end up going to Washington and it is uh, around the height of Nixon we have a very uh, inappropriate uh, Donald Rumsfeld who shows him the roads Dick Cheney is his intern that's played by Steve Carell and we find out that quite frankly Dick has a knack for politics at least the behind the scenes as he moves through the political ranks we all know what happens to nixon don't we and unfortunately as dick was rising to the creme creme, the top of the top being chief of staff and all the good things it comes crashing down and and of course he finds himself in going into the private sector but not first without somehow getting roped back in via the Reagan administration a little bit during George Bush's administration and then finally as we know George W. Bush's administration which we know during that administration 9-11 happens now while everybody else was freaking out Dick Cheney already had a plan In fact, he's been waiting to implement this plan, according to this movie, according to Adam, for a very long time. Now, as he implements the plan, the question is, can Dick, in this film, 
can Dick still go through the motions of or through the uh, not the motions through the plot points of what we know as people who've lived through it? We know where Dick Cheney started and ends as far as that. Can he do that justifiably in this movie? His calculated moves. Are they truly justified? Well, you're going to have to watch Vice to find out. Hmm. Now, that is the through-line plot. However, this movie isn't through-line at all. In fact, the narrator of this movie is a relative of Dick Cheney's. And you'll have to find out what relative he is. Oh. It's, and that narrator is uh, who we all know from seeing in various movies. Um, what is this guy's name? Jesse Plemons, who yeah. sort of reminds me of Matt Damon every single time, but just doesn't quite work. <laughs> I don't know why. And he's narrating it in modern time. What? Hmm. Okay. We flip back and forth between the young dick and the old dick and seeing how those two dicks <laughs> are parallel to one another. Now that's interesting. And also in this movie, we get what if scenarios. What if Dick Cheney hadn't done that? We go down that path. What if Dick Cheney just retired? We go down that path. And then we get what Dick Cheney actually did. Now, all that to say that this is a mixed bag of a movie. If you're just looking for the regular old biopic, remember, this is Adam McKay. This is a comedy. Whether you like it or not, it's a comedy. And if you go in knowing it's a comedy, then you won't take yourself or it so seriously. Because what Dick Cheney actually did if you just look at it on paper, it's very difficult to laugh at. But somehow, for me, Adam McKay found ways and interesting ways to make me laugh. Now, the cast is amazing. Adam, or excuse me, Amy Adams comes in like a steamroller as Lynn Cheney in a quiet strength that she possesses. Steve Carell, in my opinion, was definitely uh, snubbed for during the award season. I thought he was the supporting actor. I know Sam Rockwell got nominated in various forms. He just came in as George W. It was fine, but Steve Carell really carried the low. Allison Pill showed up as Dick Cheney's daughter, who we know Mary Cheney is, uh, is a lesbian who does have a life partner, but we find out in history and in the movie how there's that causes a riff, not personally and privately, but it causes a rift politically for their family, mm-hmm. along with other people who show up. But really, Jesse Clemens narrating is amazing. And once you find out what relative he is, <coughs> we'll put that in quotes, it is a shocker, <laughs> a huge shocker, big. And of course, Tyler Perry comes in as, as Colin Powell and doesn't make it funny at all. Do you need to go see it? Where are you going? You don't have to go anywhere. You can just hit rent. So I guess the question is, do you wait until it's free or rent it? I say this is a good rental. If you really don't want to pay the full $3.99, $4.95, you can always go to Redbox or something alike, pay a dollar and something for it. You, in my opinion, will not be displeased if you know and go in knowing it's a comedy. Now, my only wish for Adam is that I wish he would have taken it all of the way. You can tell that he had been told to strip it down. However, if he would have given the full reins of a Quentin Tarantino, 
like a Quentin Tarantino, this would have been one of the most brilliant movies ever. I have to end it with this. Christian Bale deserved every single award. And I'm going to give him another award. I'm going to give him the award of how to talk out of the side of your mouth in perfection. No one does it better than Christian Bale. I say go see it. Wow. So everybody, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to rip this. I'm going to follow exactly what you said, ref. And it's, it's exciting to hear. And, and just know everybody, if you're thinking of the cast that I mentioned that the ref mentioned and going, wow, there are even more people in this cast. Yes, I couldn't even tell you. Like it's so, there are people you're like, how are they even in that role? How did Adam McKay get them to agree? So just for that, we've got to see it. And I know for sure, because the ref said it that everybody came to play. So everyone, you have four movies in this movie talk. Two, two are sneak peeks. Native Son on HBO. Yeah, that's coming up on the sixth. Hmm. Peter Lou will be in select cinemas on the fifth. The Highwaymen is right now on Netflix and you know Vice is playing wherever you, you might have to pay a little bit for it now, but it'll certainly be worth it. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, visit whywatchthat.com. Good idea. And we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and leave comments, feedback, and you can rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next week. See you.